GM friends and welcome! It's time for another episode of Tokenomics, and this week a very exciting interview. Uh, we've got uh, industry veteran Sean Ryan, currently the CEO of Aqua, a new marketplace specifically for uh, gaming NFTs. Uh, Sean has a deep uh, history across various uh, technology and gaming companies. Many you've heard of, including Sega, Real Networks, Live Journal, News Corp, and a 10-year stint at Facebook. Uh, but he has emerged from the monolith uh, to go back into a startup world and tackle Web3. And uh, today he's here to talk to us about uh, his new venture, Aqua. Um, Sean, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. When I hear the term veteran, I have to go back and look when I started in gaming and I actually had dark hair, not gray hair, but welcome to where we are. <laughs> Well, what a blessing to have hair at all. Yeah, we'll just... well, there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a race going on there as well. So let's, see. <laughs> um, let's start uh, by digging into your history a little bit, because I think that um, your background is pretty unique for a lot of people that I know working in gaming and that you haven't been in the silo of gaming the entire time. You've actually moved around to a bunch of different uh, companies and uh, uh, product types with, within technology. Um, can you just give us a little bit about your history and how you got your start, how you got into uh, gaming? Sure. It's funny that uh, you say that because gaming is always what pulls me back uh, mm -hmm. and because it's such a unique industry. Just like when I was in music, it's such a unique vertical. So I played games because I'm older. I played games back to the Atari 2600 was my first game console and then played Asteroids in the arcade at the convenience store across the street from my middle school. So oh, that great. was, it's hard to show Asteroids to people. They're like, that's a game? I'm like, no, it was a game. I spent a lot of money on that game. So I was always a gamer in various ways, uh, both PC, console early on. And then when I came out of business school uh, about 20 years ago, all I wanted to do was be in games. And so gaming was just moving from dial-up or ISDN to broadband in those days. I know mm -hmm. it's a long time ago. Uh, and there were three online game startups. And so SegaSoft's Heat was, SegaSoft was the online division of Sega, was one of those groups. And that's where I ended up uh, starting as a business uh, development person and then moving up to be a GM as well as head of business development. And that kicked me off on my gaming career, uh, which was with Sega, the online division of Sega. And then I worked on the Dreamcast online as well. Uh, and Dreamcast, did that for a period of years. Dreamcast was a very forward looking console in terms of online connectivity and capability it was a i'm a sega kid console. It, yeah. as am i it was a rocking console uh and okawa-san who was our ceo at the time uh of sega decided to put the modem in the box those days it was a hardware modem these days everything is software mm -hmm. it was 25 dollars per console that was straight to the bottom line of losses for right. an online system that had no games Right. But he, he truly believed that this was the future and that the only way to do it to get over that chicken and egg issue was to build the console, to build the modem into the console, which is quite forward thinking at the time. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I mean, it's it was it was he was spot on uh, on the uh, he was they the, couldn't the sustain the, was the future. They couldn't sustain the entry of Microsoft and then Sony's new offering into the into the mix. Uh, and then when Electronic Arts refused to make its sports games available for the platform, uh, was a, certainly a very difficult play. But it was very forward thinking. And I still, in fact, my colleague and CTO of my current company, we met at Sega 20 years ago. Oh, wow. 
that's crazy. So what so, was, yeah. so, were you, were you involved at all? I remember, you know, um, we talk on, on Twig a lot about Apple Arcade and Netflix and Xbox Game Pass and all these subscription services. And I remember once upon a time going over to a friend's house uh, where he had some strange device hooked into his Genesis, if I recall. And there yeah, was on-demand gaming on the Genesis. Memory. Very good memory. It was an attempt. When Sega uh, did so well with the Genesis version, they couldn't come up with the next version right away, the Dreamcast. So they mm -hmm. tried to extend the power of the Genesis. They had a Sega, CD, Sega CD-ROM, if you remember yeah. that. Went from cartridges to CD-ROM, also very forward-thinking. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they attempted to do a streaming service. Uh, and I can talk about gaming on demand, which I'm not a fan of, because for 16 straight years I've been hearing about it. It's always, <laughs> a, it's, it's always a solution in search of a problem. Cress and I believe Cress and I yeah. agree on that, um, but uh, so we, they did. They tried a subscription service way back in the day with TCI. I think it was the cable company, and it was just way too early. Like all of yeah. these things, it was way too early. Super cool, but you need to get the attach rating consoles, meaning what percentage of your install base will use it. If you don't build it into the box, you have to get an attach rate, and that often is quite low. Yeah, I just uh, I remember that being just mind blowing at the time to be honest, that there was that list and we could yeah. just play Kid Chameleon. It was fantastic. Uh, it's exactly what it was. And it was, like I said, very forward thinking. Many things about Sega were forward thinking, but just way too early. And we see that as common in our business, uh, pushing out technology solutions in front of where the consumer content supply is, consumer demand or content supply. doesn't mean those people are wrong. It just means they're often early. My colleague, John, and I, again, you'll hear about again, my CTO, we built a, an avatar and virtual world company 17 years ago. <laughs> and, and, and as I say politely, that was about 25 years too early. So <laughs> right. So a company that 12 months ago would have gotten like $150 million fundraise, you were building it uh, quite a ways back. What, um, just can you touch on, you've touched on Sega, before we get to Facebook, what have been some of the other gaming ventures sure. that you've been a part of? Sure. So I was at Sega for a couple of years, a few years, and Sega fell apart when the, uh, when the owner died, when Okawa-san died. And so I went into music for a long time, and we ran the first subscription music service. So subscription and entertainment on demand has always been a, a focus of mine. So Rhapsody, which was the first uh, subscription service that had all the music when we used to have five labels, launched uh, about 15, 14 years ago. And I ran that and ended up being CEO of that and selling that to Real Networks. Mm -hmm. And then at that point, uh, although it was a decent outcome, it was time to go back to gaming or at least go back to online entertainment. And so that's when we started Mies, the teen-oriented uh, avatar, portable avatar and social uh, and kind of virtual world setting. Today, we'd call it a metaverse because we'd be able to raise funding much faster. Right. But uh, it was that era of IMVU and Second Life, run by my friend Philip. Uh, and that, there was this era where we all thought everybody's going to be in the metaverse. Right. That was 17 years ago, for those remembering. This is before smartphones. So yeah. that, ran, that ran along for a while. Then I left to go to Russia to run a company in Russia called Live Journal. And we spun out a company that did white label social casino games. Another fan of Cress. Uh, he loves those categories. Um, but uh, is white label social casino is what that, that company did, which was called uh, Open Wager. So I was mm -hmm. in that for a while before I came back to News Corp to start up their interactive gaming division. 
And I was there only about six months when I ran into a guy at a party. And a month later, I was at Facebook starting up the game's business at Facebook. So the partnership side, how do we work with developers? How do you work with the platform? So at the end of the day, I'm a platform person. But realistically, games has been the primary thing I've worked on over the last 25 years. Very cool. Um, so just a quick shout out. I believe when you were at News Court that my friend uh, John Welch, uh, who ran Play First, that gave me kind of my entering this, the uh, I uh, forgot about world that. of startups. But I, I believe that. Uh, I, acquired John, I acquired John's company, uh, John and Lee. So Lee is one of my closest friends. John, I've known forever. We all met at Sega. We all met at Sega way back in the day. And Lee and I started a company called Two Fish together with a guy named Ed Anunziata, who was the Echo the Dolphin creator. Oh, yeah. Uh, and Two Fish ended up, the game didn't do well, but like a lot of games, start, startups, we pivoted into something else and became a virtual goods platform that we sold to Live Gamer, which was a, a payment provider in the space. So I know John extremely well, saw him two weeks ago. He's pivoting to Web3 as everybody is. Yeah. Um, I want to go, since you were in that kind of first wave of metaverse uh, forays, <laughs> What is your perspective on the current um, heat, interest level, and, you know, kind of vision or lack, you know, buzziness of metaverse yeah. currently? So I think the interest heat level is appropriately down versus six months ago when it was super hot. Uh, my, my personal view, and I had a long discussion to this at Facebook, obviously with Mark, uh, is we're a long way away from metaverse being a mainstream application. Especially mm -hmm. if you require a VR head, a VR device. Uh, right now, when I look at what you could do in a metaverse, it's primarily play games. And mm -hmm. Roblox, with Dave, uh, Dave Bazooki over there, those guys have done a phenomenal job. User-generated content, playing games. And they have, you know, 50 million daily active users. That's a lot, actually, yeah. by today's standards. 300 million to 250 million, 300 million a month, all playing games, mostly teen and slightly later teen. When you look at other metaverses currently, it's not clear what you should do in them. Mm -hmm. So should you be going to concerts? Should you be doing distance learning? Should you be educating yourself? Should you be chatting? Should you? It's still unclear. Uh, and so when we look, when John, my CTO and I looked at what to start or what to move into when we left our jobs, we looked at metaverses again, because the obvious move was to resurrect our old company. But my feeling is that gaming, pure gaming is going to be how the next 300 million people come to crypto. And, and really have an enhanced experience, where I think metaverses are still five, 10 years out in yeah. terms of mass adoption. When I say mass adoption, I mean hundreds of millions of people, not necessarily billions, but mass. Right, you mean a, an application that's used by uh, normal people, not just people who consider themselves gamers as, as part of their core identity. No, I would say, you know, it, it's a good question because we talk about it for Web3. I actually think, so if you think about the gaming universe today, it's roughly 3 billion monthly users mm -hmm. play either console, mobile, or PC games on a monthly basis. It's probably 3.2, but let's call it 3 for math. So what percentage of those do we think will move to a Web3 game or other types of metaverses in the next three years? My view is it's probably 10%. It's 300 million people. And people think that's an enormous number, and my view is it's a small number. It's still the early adopters who put up with technical challenges, who are primarily core gamers and mid-core gamers, who can put up with some of the friction in today's world. But 300 million is less than I had at Facebook 10 years ago on a desktop gaming platform. Right. So think about those numbers. 300 million is roughly the size of Roblox. 
Do we think that the entire Web3 gaming business can get to the size of Roblox in three years? Absolutely. But we're only at about 3 million right now in AO, so it's going to yeah. come up a lot. So I think yeah. metaverses just have more challenges. I think gaming, uh, especially the ownership aspects of Web3, are much more applicable to today's gamers, not necessarily match three games played by people in Indiana. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I, I, I think that's a different, that's 3 billion. That's when you right. get to that. The 300 million can easily be core and mid-core gamers. Yeah, there's 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 billions of people who play games every day. My mom probably clocks more gaming hours than I do, many weeks. You know, just you have more children. <laughs> I have more. Yeah, I have. Yeah, with seven, seven, five, and two. If I can get if I can get oh, twenty minutes to play Vampire Survivors, I'm a pretty happy guy. So um, I've had a rule for my entire career, which is I limit myself to one hour a day, but I try and play one hour a day. And I delete the game after 10 hours. Got it. And it's painful because you end up playing a lot of bad games, but otherwise mm -hmm. I'll just get obsessed and just play that yeah. one game. And my business is about playing a lot of games and understanding the game loops and the revenue mechanics. But, uh, I, you know, it's funny. We talked about gaming. My wife, I've been married 25 years, mocked me for years about gaming. And I've been in gaming the entire time. Mm -hmm. And finally, I'm like, you're a gamer. She's like, no, I'm not. I'm like, you play Wordle every day. Right. You have two separate WhatsApp groups to discuss the Wordle, one with your colleagues and one with your friends. How is that not gaming? <laughs> right. Yeah, I think there's there's a difference between considering it like a core part of your personality versus mm -hmm. uh, being someone who plays games. The world plays games, especially as we put supercomputers in everyone's pocket and made them and free and easy to access. And I think the next few years of crypto of web3 gaming will be more about the core about those who mm -hmm. play who really identify with games and that's a big audience that's hundreds of millions of people it's not necessarily billions but it's hundreds of millions of people who are effectively power users what we sometimes call whales and so power users are quite lucrative and they they will move quickly from free to play into uh play to own yeah yeah, my thing, um, just to, to kind of put a bow on, on Metaverse, mm -hmm. I, I feel like so many people have been inspired by these great works of fiction like Ready Player mm -hmm. One and Snow Crash. And the thing that I observe in my life is that, um, yes, people want immersion and they want human connection, but they also want high levels of convenience, right? Correct. And so... Um, Instagram brings people a lot more of what I think that we imagine that they want out of a metaverse than like, you know, if, if every time I played Call of Duty, I had to like walk into a physical lobby and then choose which loadout room to go in. Like the more you make things like the real world um, and the more time anything takes, kind of the, the worse you make it. I think way. over time it will get there once yeah. it's such an obviously better experience than what yeah. you have. And I, I, I look for that future. I think Meta is making the right call. I just think it's further out. Yeah. And I they, think have, the idea... they can invest so, so, forever. So. And, and so my, my brothers and I all like soccer, and we should be able to, on the weekends, all get together, put our VR headsets on, all be on that mid-yard mid line, and all have the best view of Chelsea, Barcelona, and be able to do that today in three different cities. And yet we can't do that yet, let alone right. you know do other things. So it will come. I'm not against it. I just I'm 54 and I don't have 20 years again to wait. So. <laughs> right. Um, what you spent 10 years at, at Facebook. Um, you were the director of games partnerships and then the VP of platform partnerships. And mm -hmm. I imagine that your work, if I think about my work as a game creator, I've 
uh, created free-to-play games on Facebook. I've created mm-hmm. instant games on Facebook. Yeah. Uh, I've been part of games that have at- spent, you know, tens if not hundreds of millions of dollars advertising on, on Facebook yep. and the related ad networks. Like, I think Facebook, um, even if you don't think of it that much on the developer side, once you at least understand the marketing side of it, like, Facebook is a major player in the uh, games industry, um, not to mention uh, their forays into streaming. Um, mm-hmm. So very curious kind of like what your um, what your roles was within Facebook and kind of what what it's like, what uh, a giant platform corporation like Facebook kind of how they view us, the developers out there who are making games and advertising games on their various platforms. It's a great question. I think it comes and goes depending on what what developers do on the platform. So when I first joined, it was a desktop platform. There was no mobile. And games, when we went public, were games were something like 23% of all of Facebook revenue. Mm -hmm. Zynga alone had to be in the S1 because they were 14% of the company's revenue. And that was a mixture of the paid, the 30% fee, that is very Mm -hmm. similar to what Apple and Google take, plus the ads. And in those days, desktop was a multi-billion dollar gross uh, revenue business for Facebook. And Facebook was a much smaller business uh, overall. Mm-hmm. When gaming moved to mobile, which unlike what your colleagues say, we helped them do. Uh, we mm-hmm. didn't discourage them. We helped them do it. That's how King got started on mobile. That's how Zynga got started on mobile was with our help. Uh, is, um, is then the payment side of that moved to the mobile platforms because Facebook couldn't participate in that. Mm-hmm. And it became almost an entirely an ads business that was both on our platform as well as the ad network, which I ran, uh, which was primarily games. Mm-hmm. And so it changed the relationship a bit to where it was purely economic uh, from an advertising perspective and a little bit of platform like friends, you know, log in to see friends, log in on Facebook, friend finding. And over time, gaming until recently with Oculus and other aspects of Facebook or Meta have become primarily ads. You're right. Mm hmm. And so it's still an important vertical for Facebook, but it's primarily an ads vertical for Facebook than necessarily a platform vertical the way it used to be. Yeah. Yeah, I think the most important lesson um, I've had in free-to-play in the past seven, years, seven, eight years, the time I was working at Network and being mm-hmm. part of the team on uh, Dragon Age, uh, not Dragon Age, Legendary and on Tetris, um, mm-hmm was about how important marketing is to your free-to-play game success and as a creator how important it is to focus on marketability and focus on that marketability from the very earliest days um of the product i mean on it like the thing that i'm incubating now i I can't say much about it other than Mm -hmm. that marketing was my day one consideration uh one of the most important reasons i uh partnered with who I partnered with was because I thought they would give me a marketing advantage, uh, in what I'm doing. It's like, it's absolutely, um, absolutely critical in today's, uh, age when just the, the world is awash in games that you can play for free on any device that you own. I think that's very forward thinking of you, especially for web three in web three. What we've noticed at Aqua is that there seems to be a build it and they will come mentality that mm-hmm. we, I have fewer discussions about user acquisition than I've ever had. 
Mm-hmm. And it's surprising to me, even at our relatively early size, we have a variety of game developers coming to us saying, can you uh, launch our game? Can you help publicize our game? Can you help market our game? Because the tools that exist in Web3, including Facebook and Google, are not as effective as they were in Web2. The mm-hmm. conversion rate through the funnel is different. The targeting mechanics are different. And so people are going to have to, developers like yourself, who you've already thought about this, are going to have to be a lot more thoughtful about how they market their game. Merely saying I've got 10,000 Discord followers and people follow me on Twitter is not a marketing strategy. Right. Uh, and so it is a bit about hype, and that's part of life today, and, and pre-sales and things like that. But it's also just, uh, you know, to your point, what are the channels I'm going to use to get my game in front of people? And it has to be a multi-level channel strategy where formerly you could just go to Facebook. Yeah. And so Facebook's still a good alternative, but it can't be the only one. And especially given the friction in today's system around wallets, you know, when you drop through an ad funnel and at the end of it, you lose 90% at the very bottom because they have to install a wallet. That's tough. That kind of makes the overall top of the funnel mechanics quite hard. That is getting fixed over time with better wallets, but it's a very different marketing approach. Brand will help, uh, of course, if you have an IP established IP. But just in general, people are going to have to put a little more thoughtful about the UA, the user acquisition side of the business, than what I've seen from most Web3 developers. Yeah. It's a little, I mean, to be, it's part of what makes it so exciting, which is the blue ocean and, and the number mm-hmm. of possibilities, is also uh, what makes it so frustrating that, like, I mean, not a week has gone by that I, uh, uh, every week I think, uh, um, oh man, I wish X existed to help me build and market my game, that would be a giant business. And then I think, oh, I should build that. And then I, then it's like, N- but I do I want to build this type <laughs> of ad network or ad technology? Do I want, like, is that my specialty? I want it to exist, but it's, you know, there are so many possibilities in this space. Um, anyways. I, I, I agree, by the way. Yeah. Everybody's re- starting to rebuild Web 2 into Web 3, and it turns out that uh, you need a lot of that, whether it's targeting or CRM or ad networks. I know we don't like to use the term ads yeah. in Web 3. But uh, how you acquire users is all going to have to be rebuilt. But I'm feeling good about the new startups I'm seeing in the space. Yeah. So that kind of brings us to um, Aqua, which you are the CEO of, which is a uh, uh, NFT marketplace uh, specifically for gaming NFTs. Um, can you tell us about the founding of Aqua and its mission and how you got sure. involved in it? Sure. Aqua was founded by the three three guys who run Digital.xyz, which is a Web3 investment fund. And along the way, as they were investing in Web3 companies over the last couple of years, one of them is the number one holder. His name is O'Shiny on Twitter. He's the number one holder of NFTs in Gods Unchained. It's mm. 324,000 NFTs. Wow. And along the way, along the way, he realized how frustrating it was to buy and sell at scale. He just didn't feel the marketplaces like OpenSea and others, although very good, were not built for games. They were built for art. And there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with that. It just wasn't his audience. So they spun up through uh, contractors and some other help. They spun up a prototype of Aqua, which was to be a marketplace for gamers by gamers. And the reason we feel strongly about this is... The context you provide around gaming objects is different than around art. Any marketplace can provide uh, price and price over the last two weeks. If all you care about is price, you should get that anywhere. What we know in gaming, you're not there to buy and sell to make money necessarily. You're there to play and have fun and compete. 
you need the context around that asset. Why should you buy it? How will it help you? What card can you play it with? What other asset can you combine it with? All mm. those things are complicated, but that's what gamers want. So that's what we are building. So uh, the digital founders brought me and my colleague John in a few months ago, along with uh, Alay, who came from Riot, who's our head of marketing. The three of us have been building out the team now and starting to expand the future set. But the goal is to focus very directly on a smaller set of games. This At the moment, it's Gods Unchained, but soon it'll be tens of games and then more and provide context around it so that gamers, not speculators, speculators can do what they want, but gamers can come and understand why should I buy this? What should I do with it? Where's a, where's a community of like-minded gamers? And then developers can come and say, how do I expose my game to a bunch of people who are into Web3 gaming? Mm-hmm. Got it. So this all this conversation kind of makes me think of my time as a Magic the Gathering mm-hmm. uh, player and uh, collector and like literally being at the game shop and having like my uh, Mirror Universe card and I'm like, maybe I'm willing to get rid of this Mirror Universe card. Ooh, that mm-hmm. Ollie from Cairo looks really good. <laughs> and And if I'm understanding it, I, I did not have the most sophisticated approach to um, deck building, and it, and it well, clearly, you know, it wasn't like it was today with, with all the online resources. But mm-hmm. I could imagine, you know, like the ultimate digital version of that would have been I'm able to like look at uh, an entry for that Mirror Universe card and to see different videos and articles like mirror universe works well in this type of deck. It's especially powerful with X, Y, Z. Like I didn't have, I wasn't that sophisticated. You know, one of, one of my friends growing up, Sam black, he's, he's one of the top pro players right now. He had that brain. I didn't have that, that deep uh, brain for that sort of deck building context. And so I can imagine all the information I wish I had had at that time so I could have known, like, no, don't don't get rid of this card. This card's really valuable for the type of deck that you're building right now. That's exactly what we're trying to do, is take that type of information that is both available off-chain and on-chain. And so a lot of this available on-chain, it's not just about price data. People focus on price. It's about play data. As the chains get more capable, and we're working with Immutable closely right now, is the chains can have more data in them about play data, Mm-hmm. So that you, we can know statistically decks with that card won 37% of the time. Right. Or if you combine that card with these three decks, because you can see all the play data. You can't see who played it because it's pseudonymous, but you have more data in Web3 than you ever than Facebook ever had in Web2. Right. You have play data, transaction data, you have everything but identity. And so we should be able to help you. Let's decide you want to play a nature deck instead of a, instead of a fire deck. We should be able to swap you in and out so that you sell your nature and buy your fire. We're not about necessarily helping people money go up and try and make money on gaming. If they want to, they can, mm-hmm. but that's not the goal. The goal is to enable you to have fun and play better and be able to switch strategies, whether it's card games, sports games, you know, any of these games where you can have a wide variety of assets and play different strategies so you can win. So you can finally beat your brother who keeps beating you the last five times. Right. So it's kind of like the, um, I can imagine, uh, uh, again, just using magic as my anchor, mm-hmm. um, a future uh, where it was, you know, I'm looking at Gods Unchained and I see um, 
here are the most popular decks or the most winning decks from last season's Correct. whatever it's called tournament. Absolutely. Here's what we know about the next tournament. Um, these top 16 players, these are the decks they're practicing with right now. All of that right? is available. Like, All of that is right now. We have some of it, more of it coming. And not just for CCGs. This will end up mm -hmm. happening depending on the, the game genre, whether it's FIFA or Call of Duty, if they yeah. came online or other things. They'll be similar because I think the what we'll see in the future are very robust NFT collections where you've got hundreds of thousands, if not millions of assets. Mm -hmm. And because we can't all have the sell 1,000 assets for $500 a piece and consider that to be a success, and that's not. You want assets of all of all sizes, prices, rarity, commonality, so that anybody can come in and play. Right. And that's why we should be able to combine that content and that data, which is big machine learning, along with uh, a marketplace. And it's really about helping you have more fun. Uh, in the early days, it'll be power users mm -hmm. because we think the early users will be core and mid-core. So we definitely have features to enable you to buy more decks at a time and fill out decks and do things like that. But over time, well, obviously, we have to apply this to many genres. Yeah. Yeah, as an example, like when I, if I hop into Fortnite, right, I don't, or Call of Duty, I don't play a lot of multiplayer first-person shooter games. I'm normally a, a single-player uh, linear campaign type of person. Mm -hmm. As am I. And, and so when I jump into Fortnite and I get a kill and then a gun is sitting on the ground, I have no idea if that gun is better than the one I have <laughs> or, you know, like, and, and in, within the... Um, tournament you know within that match i don't have the time to look away and look it up right i either need to know those things or i need to study up beforehand but uh pretty much any multiplayer game um or you know a game with a competitive format i can even just think of um the weekly events that i was a part of running on legendary uh, mm -hmm. Game of Heroes that they're still running those events today, and the the top guilds in the game spend a lot of time amongst each other strategizing what the best deck strategy is for the yeah. next event. And because those if, are if the, if kind the of synchronous play, single player if, stuff. If the game is well, if the game is well balanced, it's not pay to win. It's how do you play the assets together, and and that's really where uh, you want people. You're right. So you can be the best medic ever. I can be mm -hmm. the best tank ever. Can be, you know, it's, and so you're trying to figure out in great games, it's how you play as a team or how you play or how you, uh, or how you put together your deck or your set of assets. And you shouldn't have one winning strategy only. The deck, the game, if made correctly, has many ways to win. And that's what we want to encourage. We want people to be able to try different ways to win and have fun and compete. Um, so what convinced you uh, that it was the right time to jump into Web3 gaming? I mean, it sounds like from, from your history, you've been on the forefront of a lot of things, and you've also been too early on a lot of mm -hmm. movements in a way that I could imagine um, that you could walk away from those experiences with Mies and with Sega and others and think, uh, maybe this time I'll wait for it to mature first. Uh, instead of jumping in too early or may, you know, I could understand having a lot of um, trepidation with entering web three right now, just because of the, uh, the history you've had. So what, what convinced you about that? This was the time to join web three. What got you excited about it? So first and foremost, it's a great question. Cause I asked my wife asked me that a lot. So are mm -hmm. you too early again? Uh, right. And my colleague, John and I, my CTO and I were just having the same conversation. You want to be early enough that there's still opportunity. 
so the best way to look at this is if, if Zynga and Facebook started free to play in the West on a desktop 12 years ago, take two and EA just bought large free to play companies in the last six months. So that's called, let's call it a 10 to 12 year gap right there between the major players. Activision was earlier with King. Yeah. But when you look at this thing, what do I think? I think that first ownership, digital asset ownership is a natural. There's no other way around that statement. People who have played for thousands of hours in a game should own their assets and have more flexibility about what to do with them. We're not asking them for new behavior. This is free to play behavior. You just get more flexibility with your assets. There's no loss. It's all win, especially for core gamers. So that is first, are we asking people to do new behavior? No. Two, are there any examples of this working? And my friend Brock started a company called IGE uh, 17 years ago that allowed you to uh, gold farm in China on World of Warcraft and mm-hmm. sell your assets on eBay, sell the accounts. Now, you know, it raised a bunch of money, was very successful, and then collapsed due to fraud, terms of service issues. Right? There are lots of problems. But it showed the demand. The demand is there, just like yeah. Axie Infinity showed the demand. So we're not asking to create demand. This is a natural instinct that gamers want. Then the second thing is how long. And when we looked at it, our best bet was the better games are going to start hitting next year and the wallets will continue to improve. So we're looking at a three-year journey here, not a 12 or 15 or 20. I don't think it's that far out to get to what I think is 300 million people at the end of 2025. I feel very good about that. We need better games. We need better wallets and overall and overall less friction in the ecosystem. All of that is being worked on. Got it. And um, with with Aqua, you and, and your partner, it sounds like, stepped into a company that already existed. Mm-hmm. Um, what attracted you to Aqua? What convinced you to take the CEO role? And, you know, why were you the, the founders that that was the way to attack the market? Yeah, the founders, one, are great. They're Web3 native. They know more about Web3 than I do. They, they grew up with, board, they own board API clubs and CryptoPunks and things like that. So... They're now on the board, uh, but we still obviously talk all the time. So advantage from Web3 native founders mm-hmm. to a $10 million seed round from Steve Cohen. Uh, so nice. money in the bank, money in the bank. So, and then third, a prototype slash alpha, let's call it, that we thought had good bones uh, that had been built by a set of contractors and consultants from a firm called the GP who are great. And we could take that and accelerate it. So mm-hmm. it was really about time to market with the right circumstances around advisors, money, and start not starting from scratch. Now we're hiring our own teams and accelerating feature development and expanding the number of games we support, making it work better on mobile, all the things you do when you run a business. Got it. Now there are um, a lot of marketplaces out there, you know, mm-hmm. OpenSea, Immutable, Magic Eden, Fractal, Binance, and that's just mm-hmm. naming a couple. Um, there are many more. Um, what um, what will Aqua bring to the table to differentiate itself? What is going to make Aqua so attractive to uh, to players? Yeah, the good news is most of us know each other because we've, we've all been in and out of games and in these marketplaces. We all know each yeah. other. Uh, so what I'd say is first is you have to make the bet that a gaming-focused marketplace in the long run will be better than a general marketplace. And I used to run the Facebook marketplace, the largest marketplace in the world. So I'm familiar with how marketplaces work. And what happens is verticals that are profitable tend to be carved out. So autos you used to get a car on Craigslist. Now you go to one of the tens Craigslist. Now you go one of the ten auto sites. Mm-hmm. You used to rent your apartment on Craigslist. Most people now go to apartments.com or things like this. 
This is the natural transition that happens in marketplaces. Big general marketplaces eventually give way in certain verticals to specific marketplaces. We believe gaming is a big enough market, a big enough vertical for NFTs because they have utility. It's a natural form for gamers to use that eventually most gamers will go to a gaming marketplace versus a general marketplace. So that's the first bet. Mm-hmm. Second bet is when you look at the marketplaces, it's so early, no one knows. It's, you know, in terms of how you'll differentiate, there's very little IP you can protect in this. It's about running faster, hiring the right people, executing well. And so it's early. I'm really happy with our progress in Gods Unchained. Right now, none of the marketplaces are competing with each other. Everybody's listing everywhere. Everybody is trying to wander around and buy in different places. I would say right now, we haven't seen significant differentiation. Just because it's early and many of us are platform specific, so we're immutable only for the time being. Uh, uh, Fractal is Solana only. Magic Eden is currently Solana only, but probably expanding to Ethereum. You know, it's you see different. That will change over time as we all compete across the same play, platforms. But for right now, it's just too early to worry about competition. In fact, a lot of us talk occasionally and exchange notes just because we have common problems like, What's your wallet strategy? How do you, you know, what are you seeing from, you know, this game, that type of thing. So it's, it's really what I, this phase of growth is what I call the co-opetition phase. Mm-hmm. And this is true in early stage markets. I've seen this in multiple cycles. It's one of the few advantages of being old is, uh, is that in early cycles, people often cooperate at some level to make the pie bigger than necessarily all going after each other. It doesn't mean we spend days together talking tactics, but in general, we're about growing the pie. How do we get more consumers, more gamers buying and selling NFTs? So I love seeing new entrants like uh, uh, Sweatcoin or Steppen. You know, people don't think it's a real game or a real whatever. I think it's bringing new people into the Web3 marketplace. And that's awesome. I think, you know, anything, Gabe Bladen coming in from Machine Zone, who I obviously knew very well at Facebook, again, comes in with his own style, his own approach, his own, and it's great. It's one way or the other. We need to expand the definition of Web3 gaming, the genres, the games, the people. Yeah. How did you choose um, Immutable as the first chain to support for Aqua? Well, the practical reason is the prototype was built on it. So it was, mm-hmm. it was, it was originally built on Axie Infinity as a better front end Axie Infinity because our founders were early members of Axie Infinity, early uh, gamers. But Immutable, as it came along, what I'd say is uh, Immutable being Ethereum compatible and being ga- heavily gaming focused. Again, we're about gamers and we want partners who are about gamers. Not because we're anti other things, it's just that we think gaming is going to be the biggest NFT market in the world. And we want our partners to be specifically focused on making a better gaming experience, just like we are. And Immutable with Robbie and the CEO and gang, are, they're heavily focused on games. They do almost nothing else. And so they started as a game studio and then morphed into a protocol. And so that's why Immutable as a highly performance Ethereum compatible chain that has a good traction with upcoming game companies, it made sense to start. We will add other chains just as they will add other, just as they have other marketplaces. But I think what we look for is where do we see games getting traction with protocols and how do we make sure we're supporting the ones that matter? And so, so far, I think uh, you've got three games you support. Is that right? It's just Axie, which is more of a legacy one. That was a test. And it's really Gods Unchained and Guild of Guardians. We'll start to add more games in Q4. For us, it's really get the team in place, 
build out our infrastructure and our analytics, and then be able to scale uh, as we head into 2023, adding a whole new set of games to the platform. But we like to go deep on our games and we support them. We think that's important to be able to not just throw it up there and have 500 games up there. It's actually important to be able to go deeper so that power users come in and say, you know, these guys understand this game. They understand what I'm looking for. Much of that's done through machine learning. Some of it's done through humans. That's what we're building out on our playbook on gods and then expanding it to guild and other games that are coming. Got it. So it sounds like the phase of life you're in right now, um, you sort of stood up the first version of the marketplace and now you are um, uh, adding to the tool set, adding to the feature set, making it more of the marketplace you want it to be uh, in order to have the tool before you bring on more developers uh, and more titles. Got it. We meet with developers all the time, both chains and developers, uh, and I'm really excited about the state of development. But for us, we want to make sure that we've worked out all the kinks on our current system before we start expanding. And that's really where 2023 is going to be an expansion year for us and for the industry, because we're just seeing a bunch more great games coming. Got it. So uh, next year, you know, what sort of developers will you be looking for and what sort of phase of life will you... Um of games are you going to be looking for? Are you going to be looking to break games on Aqua? Are you going to be looking to onboard the 10 most popular games on the immutable protocol? Kind of where's the... um... So we'll start by expanding the upcoming immutable games because the nature of how we differentiate is giving you play data that turns into actionable insights. So can we break games? Absolutely. But really where our strength and where we think our strength is going to be is mining the play data and then turning it into features that you can decide to give you context around these assets. So that means we have to have a sufficient set of players on the game. But for us, it's really about making sure we've got a wide set of genres. We're not just going to be CCGs. Uh, Just the nature of life has to be a wide set of genres and multiple protocols that we support so that when games start to hit, uh, that we can support them and we can help break them as a launch pad where it makes sense as we build our audience. So start with Immutable, expand the chains uh, beyond Immutable, then expand the games, and definitely go multi-genre to make sure that if you love sports games, you can find the best sports games. We're really about the best games from our point of view. Got it. I think I know the answer, but why is it important uh, for you as the business owner to make sure you have a wide range of um, game genres as opposed to specializing in just, uh, you know, the biggest... uh, genre in, in I, th- I think it's possible i think it's possible over time you'll see genre specific marketplaces and communities like fighting games for example it's way too early for that right now we want to be able to bring people in who are interested in web3 gaming who like the idea of ownership who know they'll have to put up with some friction around wallets and chains and so on but they're excited about it and so that means that we can't limit it to one genre because the next hot game may be a fighting game. And that's right. that's great. Even if I don't like fighting games necessarily, some lots of people do. And so we need to make sure to support that. So we're early in this. We think gaming is a broad enough category that we should support all genres. There may come a time in a much more mature business when you have you know, a fighting game only site. But even if you look at mainstream media today, which is the closest analog, you don't see much of that. Mm-hmm. And, and at the end of the day, we're going to be a discovery platform for developers so they can reach consumers as well. So it's, it's, we're, we have to serve consumers, gamers, as well as developers. And what do you think is going to bring um, 
those players uh, to Aqua as opposed to some of the other um, marketplaces, you know, if a game is supported on multiple? Yeah, a couple different ways. One is what we're seeing right now is uh, LA, our head of marketing, has put together a pretty ambitious uh, both game streamer plan. So we've signed up a bunch of streamers to help move them from Web 2 to Web 3 and support the games we're supporting. We are sponsoring esports teams for Gods Unchained, Infinite Mana in particular. So you would see us sponsoring the last tournament that took place two weeks ago. And we're working closely with the game developers and protocols themselves to make sure that they uh, that they reference us in their games. At the end of the day, game developers shouldn't be making their own marketplaces. They're not good at it. They're mm-hmm. great at making games, which is different than being great at making games marketplaces. Yeah. So we're going to work closely with games to be one of their preferred marketplaces so that we can build out an incredible set of liquidity as well as features that they can use inside their game versus having them build a you know functional but very bare bones marketplace which is what most uh, developers are doing right now yeah the um the ui ux challenge on that is no joke i mean i've been a part of um helping design different even just if you if you think about your in-game inventory they can get really complicated real fast <clears throat> and um the type of ux you need for something more utilitarian um, like a marketplace or an inventory, it's it's not the exact same thing you need for uh, the in-game uh, UX. Uh, the thing that you probably specialize in, it's it's its own unique challenge that is not to be um, trivialized. And I'm not saying game developers can do whatever they want, but right. they have a limited set of time and resources. Yeah. They should focus on making great game loops uh, and understand that they can probably partner with us or others for their marketplace. Uh, and other types of functionality that they don't need to own. Absolutely. And um, so let's say uh, I'm a developer and I've been listening and I'm really excited about uh, Aqua and its philosophy and what it's building in the future. Mm -hmm. And I've got a game I think will be great for it. And, you know, later in the year, next Mm -hmm. year as, as, uh, as the site expands, um, how should they get in contact? What's the best way to uh, either reach, reach me on reach me on Twitter or on LinkedIn, or there's a email link on the site at aqua.xyz in any of the above. We're still building the submission part out that's coming next. And we'll end up having also a directory of games, what we call Aqua Scout, uh, which will make sure we list all the games we know of. And then we'll have Aqua Prime, which is our focus set of games that we are featuring through a launch pad mechanic. Those are the ones we go really deep on. Wonderful. And we're excited to see a bunch of we're excited to see a bunch of new games. I've already seen sixty in the last two three months, and we're tracking eight hundred and thirty. So there's a lot of games in development. People think that's a lot. You know, we're still seeing a million games in the iOS system. So oh, yeah. it's still it's hard to explain to people how you know this, but how small the current business is, and how excited I am about where it's going to be in a short period of time. Yeah, small small in terms of players. Yep. I mean, the part of I think a part of what's gotten a lot of uh, experienced free to play devs um, excited even is is the um, revenue per player. The revenue we've seen from games like Axie and Guild of Guardians with its pre sales and and different um, uh, different games in the system. It, it points to real demand and it points to a real uh, desire. Uh, by players to own their assets. And so, yeah, absolutely. Like there's, there's a big reason why I jumped to web three 
And it mm-hmm. was uh, because of the Wild West nature and the um, ability to compete. Like the the jankiness is also creates a lot of opportunity, just like we said earlier. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, what I'd say is I wouldn't read too much of the data from a year ago. Most of the data from a year ago up until about six months ago was speculators. They weren't even playing the games. They're just buying assets and hoping they would go up and sell them. Yeah. That's fine, but it's not a sustainable business for yeah. anybody. Then, then ETH collapsed along with everything else, which is bad for crypto, but doesn't affect gaming in the short run. And now it's really about power users, about gamers. And I think, I think we'll still find pretty healthy ARPU. I think you'll end up about 2x the average. Uh, based on the fact these are core and mid-core gamers. And we're seeing people right now do hundreds of transactions a day. Mm-hmm. Wallets. We're seeing wallets, not people. But uh, And so we're seeing that type of behavior uh, right now. And so I'm excited about it. But we need to get some better games. I'm excited for what you're working on. Uh, and we need the rest of the ecosystem to get easier to use. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hopefully I can deliver one of those better games uh, in the future. And uh, and uh, get onto one of those tracking sheets on uh, Aqua. Uh, Perfect. We're looking forward to it. Wonderful, Sean. Thank you so much for coming and uh, uh, talking about your history and, and sharing uh, the future of Aqua with us. And if nothing else, this has really made me want to play some Soul Calibur on the Dreamcast, which maybe I'll do. <laughs> maybe oh, that's week. awesome. I appreciate. Maybe it. dig Take up care. some Choo Choo Rocket. Oh, fun. you are going back. You are a Sega boy. All right, you are I a Sega am. boy. Just, just I'm going to have to I, update I, my Twitter handle, verified well, when Sega I first, boy. When I, first, when I first went to Rhapsody, I brought along the Japanese version of Dreamcast because it wasn't released in the U.S. yet. So mm-hmm. no, uh, that was really, you had, to, you had to get through the Japanese settings, which was not easy, but we yeah. still played a lot. Awesome. That sounds like fun. All right, Sean, thank you so much for your time. Hey, thank you. Appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the whole episode. If you like this podcast, please do leave a comment and share the episode. If you want to access the Deconstructor of Fun community with hundreds of senior games folk, go to our website and apply to the Slack group. And if you want to get notified of all the new content we have coming out every week, do subscribe to the weekly Deconstructor of Fun newsletter. Finally, do remember, we love you guys and we appreciate you guys. Catch you next time.